0: Father in heaven, we're here on Holy Saturday. Father, you died on Good Friday. And and Lord, mm, the only reason why it's good is because it was because of your will and because of your choosing. But Lord, you said anyone who hangs on a tree is under the curse of God. But Lord, Jesus came to reveal God. So he can't. Uh, he can't curse himself eternally, but he took the curse yes. for us. Yes. Yes. And Lord, because of that, the storm is almost over. Yes. Yes. And Father, we thank you for, for, for doing what you did because we know you didn't have to. Uh, you didn't do it to, to catch us in a wrong act. You didn't do it to condemn us to hell, but you did it because of your eternal love. And for that, we're first shocked, and second, we're thankful. Lord we ask that as we open your word this morning That you indeed open our hearts In your son's name we do pray Amen, Amen. Can everyone see the screen alright? On Monday January 2nd of 2006 I don't know where you were But, but we, we watched in horror As 12 miners were trapped In Sago, West Virginia Do you all remember that? One miner died immediately after the blast while the other miners went deeper into the cave trying to stay alive. The men were trapped. They tried to bulldoze their way out in a mine car before they followed their training and their emergency preparedness and they barricaded themselves behind a makeshift curtain to protect their oxygen. One spokesman for the governor said, when they couldn't get out, when they couldn't get that accomplished, them being trained turned around and went back into the cave where they barricaded themselves, waiting for rescue to come. Church, they actually could have been saved if they would have walked out right after the blast. Family members held vigils at Sago Baptist Church, and just before midnight the next day, families received word that 12 minors were alive, and the bells at the church rang, and politicians proclaimed a victory. But the truth came just three hours later. And at that point, the family's joy turned into mourning. While trapped for those 41 hours, some of them sent text messages to their loved ones. In one note found in a 51-year-old foreman, Martin Toller, he said, Tell everybody I'll see them on the other side. It's not that bad. I'll just fall asleep. I love you, Junior. By the time rescue workers reached the 12 trapped miners more than 41 hours after the explosion, all but one died of carbon monoxide. There was only one survivor, Randy McCloy. He was about 40 to 50 feet from his fallen maze. And he was within minutes of not making it himself. In an interview with USA Today, Ben Hatfield, CEO of International Co-Group, he said, If the trap miners would have had wireless communication devices, it would have been possible to tell them of a way out. The only method of communication was, was a wired phone. It was destroyed in the blast. They, they tried to be saved, they wanted to be saved, they had the training to be saved, but church, they were lost. Get this, they died because there was no communication between them and the rescuers. There was no way to cry out for help because there were barriers on the outside keeping them from their help. The communication lines were cut off and 11 innocent people lost their lives. And in many ways, their condition is just like ours. We're trapped here on planet Earth, and there's no way out in our own strength. But if there's a way that we can get a message between us and our Redeemer, then we can be saved. And we're going to see how in this message entitled, He is Able. He is Able. Turn again with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you didn't permit your Bibles to follow you into the church, it is on the screen. Mark chapter 1. Verses 1 to 26, and I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. And the Bible says, They went to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, they go into the synagogue and begin to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit or an unclean spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said, be quiet. Jesus said, sternly, come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Since the beginning of time, there have always been two types of people. Not three, not four, not five, but two types of people. Those who know God and those who know about God. One leads to life and the other leads to death. And our story this morning shows us the stark contrast between the two groups of people. It's after the showdown in the wilderness that Jesus begins his public ministry. He has defeated Satan in private and now he's going to confront Satan in public. Luke 4.14 says, Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He is rejected at his hometown in Nazareth, so he moves on to Capernaum. And on his way to Galilee, he calls a few people, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And they forsake their nets and leave their friends and family, and they follow Jesus without hesitation. And the Bible says he, he comes to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath comes, he goes to the synagogue and begins to teach. Jesus comes to Capernaum, a place of repentance, a place of comfort to begin his saving mission. He has an appointment to get to and and he hurries in anticipation. Capernaum is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's occupied by a detachment of Roman soldiers whose commander actually builds the synagogue to gain approval with the people. Capernaum is a place of excessive pride because of the wealthy people who live there. And being on the highway between Damascus and Egypt, Capernaum is a place of custom and immigration. Jesus can reach a cross-section of people in the name of the Father. They rejected him in his hometown. Surely they will receive him here. He hears that John is in prison and Jesus ignores that news and goes to Capernaum. Matthew says, when Jesus goes to Capernaum, prophecy is being fulfilled. He says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the lands of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He comes to the synagogue. A place that he didn't originate. He didn't instruct the children of Israel to build a synagogue, but after the destruction of Jerusalem. The synagogue becomes the center of Jewish custom and life. One was erected wherever there were ten Jewish men. Not ten Jewish women. If there were ten Jewish men anywhere in Palestine, they had to erect a synagogue. If you couldn't make it to the temple in Jerusalem, you had better make it to the synagogue. It was said in the Talmud that the only prayer that God would hear was the one offered in the synagogue. They taught. That if you miss church one time, God would curse you and your entire family. God help us if we don't make it to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus comes to this place. And he has the audacity not to condemn them, but to participate in their worship service. Their worship service is very structured. Uh oh. They open up with a doxology called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. After the doxology then came the parashah, or the reading of the appointed text of the law. And men were, only men were allowed to read from the sacred book. Women were not allowed to participate in the worship service. So there's all of this bigotry, but Jesus comes and participates in their worship service. After the, after the parashah comes the haftarah. Or the reading from the prophets. After this section the reader. The speaker would then expound upon the read it message. And after this comes the derashah. Or the sermon. And after the sermon the benediction. Jesus is probably participating in the haftarah. Or the reading from the prophets. The same way he did when he went to his hometown in Nazareth. And when Jesus comes into church. And he begins preaching and teaching. The Bible says that the people are amazed at his teaching because he teaches as one who has authority. Uh Not as the teachers of the law. Uh (laughs) When Jesus preaches, conviction touches the heart. When Jesus preaches, salvation is made clear in the soul of the hearer. There is a marked contrast between the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the scribes or the teachers of the law. The Greek calls them the grammatis, where we get our word grammar. They were very educated people. They were the Sabbath school superintendents. The scribes. They are the interpreters of scripture. The scribes, they are the teachers of scripture. The scribes, they are the judges of anyone who reject their interpretation of scripture. And because knowledge of the law is a necessity to become a scribe, you're not born into the position. Ah, God help me. You had the way to become a scribe is by studying intensively at the feet of a famous rabbi. So if you memorize the rabbi's teaching, then you will be considered an authority. If you memorize the right words, if you go to class, if you take notes and memorize the right teaching and the right lectures, then you would be considered an authority. But Jesus comes in a completely different way. He doesn't go to their schools. He doesn't read their books. He doesn't quote from their commentaries. But this man possesses authority. The scribes get their authority based upon how many books they have read. But Jesus is his own authority. He doesn't quote the Mishnah. He doesn't quote the Gomorrah. He doesn't quote the Talmud. He quotes himself. Jesus possesses authority. Jesus' preaching is described as or a cold slap across the face. But Jesus' cold slap across the face is a marked contrast between the lukewarm milk of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus preaches with authority and power. Amen. Amen. You know how you can tell a lonely and insecure preacher? Talk to me now. Maybe I'm telling on myself or on my, my, my mates, but as soon as they get a preaching appointment, As soon as they get a preaching appointment, the first thing they do is run to the library and start grabbing commentaries and dictionaries to see what other people have said about God's word. Uh They are lonely and afraid inside. They are actually afraid of the word of God. They want to be reflectors of other people's thoughts. They are afraid to sit alone with God's word and allow God to communicate with them through his holy word. They want to see what other people have said. If you're in college, you know that's called secondary sources. A secondary source is something that someone has said about a primary source. Why don't you go to the primary source and be changed so you can have authority? We can be like Jesus in our teaching and our preaching, but we have to spend time in his presence and allow him to reach us. Don't be like the teachers of the law. Uh, people don't need more orthodoxy. They don't need more scholars. They don't need another fundamental belief. They need people who speak with spiritual authority. That's right. uh, we need people who are God chasers. People who don't restrict God to where he was in the past. To what people wrote about him. They seek God where he is now. Not where he was 50,000 years ago. That's right. If there was such a thing. People who restrict God to where he was. They are liable to become Pharisees and Sadducees, but a person who is a God chaser, a God stalker, they go beyond all that stuff. They they go beyond orthodoxy, they they go beyond, beyond commandment keeping, they they go beyond, they go beyond doctrinal arguments and seek God for himself. People who possess spiritual authority. You got to get to the place where you stalk God. Where well, he has to put a restraining order out on you and you violate it day after day after day Chain yourself to his throne and don't leave until you get a word from him Get to the place where he says Lord because of who you are I give you glory because of who you are I give you praise Because of who you are I lift my voice and sing Lord I worship you because of who you are Those kind of people are God chasers, but A.W. told us that these kind of people are prophets, not scribes. Because see, a scribe with a Ph.D. and a Th.D. and an E.D.D. and a, and a D.M.N., which I hope to get one day soon, <laughs> a scribe tells you what he has read, uh-huh. but a prophet tells you what he has seen. Yeah. We need people who are so wrapped up in God, soaked up in God, enveloped in God, and surrounded by God that when people touch you, they touch God himself. When Jesus preaches The unexpected happens Verse 23 says Then a man in their synagogue Who is possessed by an evil or unclean spirit He cries out Saying what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth Have you come to destroy us I know you I know who you are You're the holy one of God Everybody is startled But Jesus remains calm. Satan brings a man to church to cause a disruption. But everyone's going to see what happens when when demons come into the presence of the king of kings and lord of lords. The man interrupts Jesus with a question and a confession. A question and a confession. Church, the demons seem to know more about Jesus than the people do. The, The demons seem to know more about God than the people who are in God's church on God's day, reading from God's book. Hello. The demon. They testify of his humanity by calling him Jesus of Nazareth. They testify of his divinity by calling him the Holy One of God. That's, right. okay. That's 40 plus times in the book of Isaiah to point to the Messiah. They know about his incarnation. They know about his upbringing. Jesus could enter into discussion with the demon. And explain the mysteries of God. He could have explained what it means to be fully God and fully man. He could have explained what it means to to be tempted in all points yet without sin. He could have explained all of the things that we hustle and bustle about. And I could have avoided eight years of theological training. If Jesus would have entered into discussion with the demon. But Jesus wants people to know that knowledge about God. Does not equal saving knowledge. Okay, that's right. This man was caught up with the curiosity of sin. He was enticed to play with temptation. Until he gets to the place. Where Satan takes possession of his entire being. Satan brings this man to church to disrupt service. And the demon cries out. Jesus of Nazareth. What do you want with us? The man wants. He wants to do right. But another spirit takes control of him. He is in the very presence of Jesus, yelling at the one who created him and the one who gives him life. The man is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he knows about the law of God. He knows who the Son of God is. He knows about the incarnation. He has all of this doctrinal and religious knowledge, but he has an unclean spirit. Ah, the demon said, have you come to destroy us? That could mean one of two things. Have you come to destroy us? It could mean that, that the demon, there were multiple demons in the man. Saying the us can refer to the number of demons in the man. But it could also mean that there were other people in the church who had unclean spirits. Have you come to destroy us? What do you want with us? Don't don't you know that last night I did X, Y, and Z? What do you want with us? Don't you know that I smell like alcohol and liquor? Jesus, what do you want with me? The man was just like the people. They they, they wanted to change. They they tried to change. They had the desire to change. They thought if they studied their Sabbath school lesson and, and listened to their teacher You know, the ones who carry the big study Bible. The ones who quote the commentaries verbatim. They did all of that, but no power came from it. They had the right day. The Sabbath. They they had the right place. They were in the synagogue. They were even in the right city. Capernaum. And they thought that they had the right teachers. Church, they had the time. They, They had the place. But they could not get delivered because they had the wrong person. You know, we, we well may, or maybe not you, but, but me, we, we're the same way. We have unclean spirits, but we dress them up with orthodoxy. We, we think that we are better than people who have visible problems. Lord, I'm not like this person or that person. Lord, I have a degree. I I did this thing and and that thing. But whatever the case may be, we all need to be delivered because we have an unclean spirit. If we're really honest with ourselves, we would would declare that that we have an unclean spirit. If it's not alcoholism, then it might be jealousy. If it's not pornography, then it's self-righteousness. The man was in church, but he still couldn't save himself. And neither can we. For many years, For many years, I would watch Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter on the animal planet. You know, when when we got to the place where we had cable. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I was fascinated by how he trapped these 30-foot reptiles with his bare hands. Brother was crazy. He would wrestle them on live television with no thought of his safety. brother, not, man, he not going to do that. That's right. That's right. He got so bold as to put his infant son into the mouth of a crocodile. With everything he knew about crocodiles and the pressure that it takes to crush, the brother was crazy. I mean, the man was crazy. His wife, Mrs. Irwin, said that he always thought that he would die early, like in a car crash or a wreck or something glorious and sudden. And when he was on assignment in the Great Barrier Reef, he was filming a TV show. He was doing something that he always did. He was in the water with dangerous animals. But when a stingray's barb pissed him in his chest, he died moments later. While being sensitive to his wife and his family, you you got to make the connection. He had the training. He he had the experience. He had the knowledge. He had handled crocodiles before, but, but none of it helped him when he was stung by a stingray. It's the same way with you and with me. We, we were stung by sin in the Garden of Eden. And, and some people think that they can study their way out of sin. If I go to Oakwood and as soon as I financially clear, if I, get the, if I get more religion classes, then I'll be free from sin. If I graduate from Oakwood and go to the seminary, maybe I can be free from my fallen nature. Some people think that they can sing their way out of sin. If I listen to the right songs, if I go to the right concerts, if I, if I go to the next level in worship, then I can be free from sin. And we come to church thinking that we're okay only to cry out like the demon. I know that the law is spiritual, but Lord, I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I understand what to do, but the things I understand, those things I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things that I do. When I want to do good, evil is right there present within me. I want to do right. I I try to do right. I seek to do right. But I'm so used to eating sin and tasting sin and smelling sin and digesting sin that I get to the place where I'm I'm in my closet and I say to myself, I love sin more than I love him. For in my inner being I delight in the law of God. But I see another law at work in in my members. Waging war against the law of my mind. And making me a prisoner to the law of sin and death. What wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? These people had the scribes. They had more PhDs than we have. They had the Sabbath. They couldn't keep the Sabbath better than we can. They, they had the commandments, but none of it could save them. Hear me. Not because they didn't try. Not because they didn't have knowledge. Because they were like this man. In church, on God's day, near God's son. But they did not realize that they had an unclean spirit. Satan brings the man to church to disrupt service, but but Jesus, he has another agenda. This man could only speak the word of Satan, but his unspoken cry was heard from his heart. The man tried to reach out to Jesus, but Satan took control of his vocal cords. But Jesus looked beyond the dirt and beyond the stain, and he says, be quiet and come out. I'm not going to debate with you about my identity. I'm not going to enter into theological discussion with you. Shut up and come out. And when Jesus delivers him, he begins crying and praising God for his deliverance. Jesus defeats Satan in heaven. He defeats him in the wilderness. He defeats him in a place where there is no sin. He then defeats him in a place where there is lots of sin. Then he defeats him in church where people who don't know that they have sin. It does not matter the place, Jesus is able. If your sin is secret, Jesus is able. If your sin is private, Jesus is able. If your sin is public and garbed with religion, Jesus is able. When you have the silent frustrations in your mind, he he can break through all of the shadows of the past you left behind. When the enemy comes running, ranting and warring, Jesus is able to show himself strong in the midst of it all. Even though the devil reminds you of defeated times before, one defeated battle doesn't mean you've lost the war. Jesus says, shut up and come out. He doesn't debate, he, he doesn't discuss, he doesn't deliberate, He said, shut up and come on. Well, well, preacher, that's much easier said than done. You don't know my demon. You don't know my condition. That that was 2,000 years ago. What difference does it make? You don't know what I've done. How is Jesus able in my life? Maybe it's just me who asks these questions. Look, look, up, look, up, look back at verse 24. Jesus, it says that the man has an unclean spirit, but he calls Jesus holy. How can a man who is unclean recognize holiness? He says, I know who you are. You're the holy one of God. Church, there is an apparent contradiction Between an holy God and an unholy people. In this story, you see the contradiction, but Jesus looks beyond the tension and beyond the contradiction. What are you talking about? Jesus takes a man with an unclean spirit and he gives him a new spirit. All right. He takes a person with an unholy spirit and he gives them a new spirit. (laughs) Don't you see it? Jesus makes an exchange with the man. Well, what are you talking about? In this chapter, Mark Mark chapter 1, Jesus takes unclean blood and gives pure blood. He takes unholy human nature and gives holy divine nature. Jesus takes slavery and he gives freedom. He takes pornography and he gives purity. He takes alcoholism and gives sobriety. He takes the torn, the battered, and the bruised and gives them a garment of praise and a garment of... Jesus, he takes our mess And he gives us a new start. He makes an exchange with us. The man wanted to argue. But Jesus gave him rest. The man wanted more doctrine. But but Jesus gave him the truth. He said shut up and come out. And if Jesus can do that. By just speaking to a man. That Satan brought to church.
1: What is there that he
0: cannot do. For you and for me. Let's, let's make it plain. Jesus in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. God talks about all of the things he's going to do. Before you can do anything, before you can change yourself, God says, I'm able to do all the things that you cannot do. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. You can't wash yourself. You can't put yourself in the washer and dryer. You can't take a shower. God says, I will pour clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I will move you to keep my laws and decrees. Before you can do anything, God does everything. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's Church, the new covenant says before you even repent and feel sorry for your sin, God gives yes. you a new heart. Yes. That's right. That's right. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He delivers us when we reach out to him broken in faith. Jesus speaks to the man and he gives him what his wealth cannot buy. What his knowledge cannot understand. What his obedience cannot conjure up. And the same power and authority that Jesus cast out demons. Is the same power he uses to raise himself from the dead. And the same power he used to give life to those who come to him. When when we are dead in our stuff. Jesus comes to deliver us. All the stuff comes back up again and Jesus doesn't enter into debate with our past. He just rebukes yes. it. Well, what are you talking about? Jude 9. When, 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 when Jesus comes to raise Moses from the dead. Jesus is contending with the devil. And, and the devil says, brother, don't you know that he sinned, that, that he died, that he didn't go to the promised land. He lived 120 righteous years, but you put him to rest in your infinite wisdom. And Jesus doesn't say nothing, he just says, I rebuke you. I I know his past, I know his dirt, I know his stain, but the Negro is mine. He knows our past, he knows our stuff. He knows knows the programs on your computer that you thought was erased. He knows the stuff on your hard drive that you thought was gone. When we try to cover it up with religion and religious behavior, he says, the brother is mine, I don't care what you say. He looks beyond all of that And he sees our hearts cry And he says shut up and come out He doesn't debate, he doesn't discuss He says I am who I am, I'll be who I will be I am my own authority You don't don't need to read a book You don't need to study under a scholar What you need is my power replacing your power My spirit replacing your spirit Jesus is able to make an exchange with us. But not only does he make an exchange. He can do it again and again and again. What are you talking about? This is the beauty of the Bible. In, in, In Mark 1. Jesus does four things. That parallels what he does in Mark chapter 5. All right. In Mark chapter 1, he first speaks to a demon with the words, be quiet. He then goes on to cast out an unclean spirit. He then heals Peter's mother-in-law. Praise the Lord for taking care of his mother-in-law. By taking her by the hand and healing her from her fever. And then at the end of that day, people press him. With demons and with sickness and they're healed. That's Mark chapter 1. But the four things also happen in Mark chapter 5. He says, be quiet to a raging storm. He casts out legions of demons. He he then raises not a a, a sick girl but a dead girl by pulling her by the hand and, and picking her up. And then at the end of Mark chapter 5, he heals a woman who's been pressing in the crowd and bleeding for 12 years. Don't you see what the Bible is saying? Everything Jesus does once, he does it even better the second time around. In chapter 1, he quiets a demon. In chapter 5, he quiets a storm. He does it better the the second time around. In chapter 1, he heals a woman who's sick. In chapter 5, he heals a dead girl. He does things better than the second time around. In chapter 1, he casts out one demon. Just one. In chapter 5, he casts out thousands of demons. God does things better than the second time around. In chapter 1, he heals a few people. In chapter 5, he heals this woman who's been hemorrhaging with blood for 12 years. God does things better than the second time around. What what are you talking about? That's that's just Jesus. Well, what about Moses? God does things better the second time around. The first time God came in a bush and the bush didn't burn up, but but the second time he comes and sets an entire mountain on fire and says, don't touch the mountain lest you die. He does things better than the second time around. The first time he just speaks to Moses, but but the second time he speaks to millions. The first time he comes in a sanctuary, but but the second time he came in person. The first time he saved hundreds of thousands by looking at a snake, but the second time. He says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He does things better the second time around. When he came in person riding on a donkey the first time. There were just thousands of people yelling Hosanna, Hosanna, thou son of David. Yeah. Uh, but, but the second time he yeah. comes again. He won't be riding a donkey, but he'll be riding a white horse. Yeah. Uh, and wearing a white robe and yeah. fitted with a white crown. And, and the whole universe will be getting right on King Jesus. No man can hinder you. God does things better the second time around. If you have a reoccurring addiction. If you keep going back to your sin uh-huh. Jesus is not only able to help you But he'll do it the second time around yes. Not yes. only will he do it the second time Come on. But the third yes. The fourth yes. The fifth yes. Some of you say that God is the God of a second chance right. God isn't the God of a second chance He's the God of another chance. When you've done your thing over and over and over again, he doesn't deal with us according to our sin. When he sees us, he's already forgiven us. He sees us through the eyes of his son. So when we come to him broken, broke, busted, and disgusted, he shows that he's the God of another chance, not the God of a second chance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is able. Yes, he is. But we got to learn one last thing. The Bible says that the demon cried out to Jesus. The word in in Mark is anacrazo. In the gospel of Mark, it's used where demons cry out to Jesus. It means to cry from the depths of the throat. It it means to cry from the depths of your being. Anachrazo. In the Gospel of Mark, you have demons crying out. but in the Gospel of Matthew you have people crying out. and see when demons cry out, they cry to debate, they, they cry to discuss, but when people cry out to Jesus, they cry because they need to be saved. Yes. Yes. In Matthew 9:27 a blind man cries out for help. In Matthew 14:30, Peter cries out, "Lord, save me!" In Matthew 14:23 a mother cries out for the healing of her son. Yes. In Matthew 20, 31, two blind men cry out to Jesus saying, have mercy on us, thou son of David. Yes. What's the point? You got to learn how to cry. Yes. 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 You have to get shameless with your pleas sometimes. Yes. When Jesus comes close to us, we have to say, Lord, I'm telling you right now that I love sin more than I love you. Have mercy but I want you to love me out of my sin. We got to yes, get by ourselves yes, and do like Elder yes. Cleveland said. We have to make our own psalm of confession. Say, Lord, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. For I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like the evening shadow. I'm shaking off like a lust. God, I'm like a desert owl perched on the rooftop alone. We have to get like that. God, my days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. My soul thirsts for you. My my body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. When we get like that with God, saying, Lord, take my heart because I can't give it to you. I need you to make it pure because it's all dirty inside. Keep it because I cannot keep it myself. Save me in spite of my weak self, my my unChrist-like self, my... My 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 demeaned self. God take that. And when we cry out to God and say, Lord, you shape me into the person that you want me to be. When we learn how to cry, I don't know how many of you are mothers, but when a baby is born, the sign, the external sign of life that they breathe is when they cry. You, if you have an attentive ear, and the baby's yours, you learn to get attentive to their needs. When they cry, they're not making fun of you. They're, they're, they're not looking down on you. They're, they're not manipulating you. They're babies. And to communicate their needs, they cry. They, they cry when they need to be changed. They, they cry when they're hungry. They, they cry when they need to be birthed. They cry because you're their mother and you're supposed to understand their hearts cry. There are different cries, but, but when we cry, Jesus is able to hear all of the cries of the universe and meet us and attend to our needs as if we're the only person crying in the universe. We have to learn how to cry. We can't pray sometimes, but we, but we can cry I don't know about you, but there are some days I can't read my Bible, but I can cry. When we are alone, rehearsing our failures and weaknesses, and the enemy comes to us and he tells us what we have committed. We can cry. We can say, Lord, I know that you know that I know that I'm X, Y, and Z. And I don't even want you right now. If you showed up, we would have a tussle and you would fall down. But, but but Lord, I want to want you. Make me want you. You see what I am, God. And I'm being honest with you because I know how to cry. Can you make me to be the person that you see in me? The Bible says that the evil spirit shook him and came out with a cry. Church, it might be a struggle, but, but, but Jesus is able. The yes. winds of lust might be howling, but, but Jesus is able. Yes, yes. Hear me, you might be in a graveyard right now, cutting yourself and living among the dead, but, but Jesus is able. Yes. You might have leprosy, but Jesus can make you clean. Yes. You might be blind, but Jesus can give you sight. Yes. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. The people who have insurance. The people who've never been to the doctor. I've I've not come to call those bougie people. I've come to those who know that they're weak. Who know that they're sheep. Who know that they're human. If you know yourself to be a sinner. Then Jesus can be your savior. If you know yourself to be a liar. Then Jesus can be your truth. If you know yourself to be lost then Jesus can be your way. Just fall on your knees and say, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. It's not by being in the right place. It's not by having more knowledge. It's not by having the right day. It's saying, Jesus, make an exchange with me. When I cry out to him, he makes that exchange and and he does it again and again and again. It's in knowing that we can't save ourselves, but knowing that he is able. There was a group of soldiers. They were returning from their, their deployment. Know anything about the military but when you come stateside, you have some psychedelics. And if you if you fail the psychedelics you can't leave base until you degree. And these soldiers came stateside from fighting yeah. battles that, that no one should have to fight. And they come back to their base and they, they go through the evals. Say, I need some freedom. I, I, I've been in the desert all of these months. I need some water. And they go through the evals and then they leave base. But they haven't been cleared yet. Their commanding officer said, Don't leave base. I need to approve your debriefing. But when you have some young 20 year olds who have who, who, who been in a foreign place for months and when they get back home, they want to do what they want to do. They that space without permission, and then they go to the beach, and then they see water for the first time after a long deployment. They're, they're, they're directly disobeying their commanding officer. They're standing on the sand, talking amongst themselves, saying, you know, the brother told us not, 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 not to come here. He told us not to leave, but we're here now. We might as well get our money's worth. We're here. We can't go back. We're already in trouble. Let's get in the water. And they get in the water and they feel they feel the waves and, and their hear gets wet and they feel what it's like to feel after you've been in the desert and you're getting cold water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they, they hear the jeep driving up on the beach and they're swimming out to the deeper waters. And the commanding officer gets out of his jeep and he stands on the shore, yelling at them and cursing at them, saying. I told you not to leave. Now I command you to come back. And they said, "There's a brother joking. He, he just messed with us. He knows that we're twenty-something. Let me do me." And they keep on swimming. And when they get further, they can't hear their commanding officer anymore. They just see him something around yelling obscenities at them. And out of the four soldiers, three of them come to their senses and they turn around and swim back. And when they get back to shore, they're, they're trying to console the commanding officer. But the commanding officer is still upset because there's one soldier left in the water. And he's yelling at the man, I told you to come back. Come back now. But the soldier is so far, he doesn't hear me. And he keeps on swimming further out because he likes to he gets in his mind, maybe I, I should go back. I, 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 I'm in defiance of my commanding officer. Let me turn around because this thing might be And when he turned around, he went under the water. Uh-uh. And when his body washed up to shore, the commanding officer was still yelling at the soldier. <laughs> and his family came from out of town, grieved and wrapped They're thinking that their son is going to have a military funeral with full benefits. He he paid his time. He he did his thing. He's been loyal to you. Now be loyal to us. But the commanding officer put the young soldier under a court-martial because he died disobeying orders. No benefits, no funeral, no nothing. You died disobeying orders. So there was a court-martial. And the prosecution called up all of the witnesses. He called up his friends. And they said, did he die disobeying words? And they said, yeah, he did. He disobeyed? And he did not come back to shore. Then they put the commanding officer up. And the prosecutor said, did he disobey you? He said, yes, he did. Why are you court-martialing him? He, he's gone. Let's to be Bible. He said, no, he disobeyed me. He deserves to get nothing. But when cross-examination time came, the the public defender stood up, he looked at the jury, he looked at the family, and he said, I have one question. Just one question. What direction was the soldier in when he died? And the CEO said, "What? what? What are you talking about? What direction was he in? The brother didn't come back to the shore. What are you talking about? What direction was he in when he died? No, yes, no, no. What direction was the soldier in when he died? And the commanding officer says, well, he was on his way back to the shore. Well, he didn't get back to the shore. What direction was he in when he died? It wasn't how far away he was. It wasn't how much strength he had. What direction was he in when he died? Don't you know that's what salvation is? It's not that you made it back to God. You have you done all of the right things? Does God have your heart? Not are you at this throne? Not are you keeping up the commandments? What direction is your life in? That's the question. Does God have your heart, not your being? What direction is your life? That's right. That's right. If you want to say, Lord, I'm not everything that I should be. I'm just like that soldier. I've been disobeyed, but I (laughs) come to my senses. I don't have the strength to come to shore, but I want you to connect with me and save me because I cannot save myself. Amen. 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 What direction is your life? The devil might have your vocal cords, he might have your being. Who has your heart? If you want to say, "I want to give Jesus my heart in a new way," I want you to come to the altar. I'm going to pray a special prayer. Satan brought the man to church, but Jesus had another agenda. Satan had everything, but Satan didn't have the man's heart. Who has your heart? Who has your heart? You did have to leave heaven to catch you. To look beyond that and see us. See us in our good. And Father, if we have to be linked to that, if we have to be a sinner, God be our Savior. When the enemy rehearses all the things in our minds, Lord, we might be sinners, but we have a great Savior. I can't say, I don't care what you rehearse to me, I don't care how you try to convict me, I rebuke you in the name of. Father, on this holy Sabbath, we put you in your proper place. Father, we thank you that you are in. Thank you. Thank you. We don't have to be because you are in. Father, there are people here who have different things, different issues, different problems in their lives. What that you meet them at the Whatever their community is, whatever their issue is,
1: whatever
0: their situation is, going to ask, we meet them at the moment of their need? Yes. Father, that is our prayer, that is our prayer. In your name we ask all of these things. say that that Jesus matchless and perfect, name, amen. Amen.